for this evening, God, where we celebrate the incredible love that you demonstrated by giving your one and only son as a sacrifice for us. We thank you and we give you praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, well, again, Merry Christmas. It is so great to be here with you this morning. What a beautiful song. Maybe you've heard it before. Love is Christmas. Why would we say that? I think it comes down to it's, it's difficult sometimes to hear lyrics like that and accept them because deep down we know that Christmas in so many ways has become so many different things to so many different people. Uh, we have complicated Christmas and we've been talking about it um, over this past month about how it's so easy to quickly get wrapped up in the preparations, the decorations, the lights, the wrapping paper and all that. But when you truly take the time to slow down and consider what Christmas really means, we're reminded that you can have a house full of presents under the tree and still have an empty heart. That there's certain things that cannot uh, be wrapped in paper with a bow, pretty bow tied on top. Like a mother and father celebrating Christmas with their children, the feeling of sharing a meal with the ones we love the most. And most importantly, the love of a heavenly father who knows us completely, along with all our flaws and everything that we've done wrong, and yet he still loved us so much that he gave everything just so he could be with us. What I love about Christmas is it gives us two very powerful perspectives of love. You first have the, the uh, perspective of the father who loved us, loved me and you so much that he was willing to give up his one and only son for us. We also have the perspective of the Savior himself who loved us so much that he was willing to lay, lay down his life and give everything in order to bring us back into the family of God. This is an amazing love. There's nothing else like it to be compared to you know, and we try our best, right? We try, to, we try to understand God's love through the perspective of a father or through a, a selfless friend or something like that. But there's simply no higher standard than what was demonstrated in what we celebrate tonight. The love of God is so powerful that it can actually lead to the expansion of the heart. But there's another side of this that we wrestle with, and this is the love of self, and within the human condition is this love of self, and the love of self awakens the Grinch within. Ah, I caught you early this time. Come on out here, Mr. Grinch. Now, you guys know, you've been caught, okay? Now, you guys know over the last few weeks, we have been talking about how to keep the Grinch within from stealing our hope, our joy, and our peace. But today, we talk about love. And one of the things that make, what makes the love of God so powerful is not that it's something that's held on to, but that it was given away so freely. And so, Mr. Grinch, come here. Today, I offer you the gift of love because Christ offers it even to those that are undeserving. Merry Christmas, Mr. Grinch. 
God bless you. Go ahead and take that with you. Have a Merry Christmas. Let's give it up for the Grinch. He's done a great job this whole month, hasn't he? Anybody figure out who he is yet? Okay, make sure you give him, make sure you thank him for what he's done for us to help illustrate these messages from God's word. Today, you know, we, we're, we're tying in the Grinch this whole month because it's this wonderful story that just illustrates the power of love. And, you know, in the, in the, in the cartoon, we see that the Grinch, his heart grows three times that day, right? At the sound of the singing and the generosity of a child, his heart is melted and it grew three times that day, right? It's this beautiful story. But today, what we're here to do is to tell a very true story about a love that has real power to transform even the hardest of hearts. So this morning, whether you feel like your heart is cold and hardened, whether you feel like you're very far away from God or very close to him today, I believe that if this morning you will slow down and reflect on the radical love that God has for you, you'll see that wherever you're at, your heart can be changed, and it always has more room to grow. Do you hear what I just did there? That means this message is for every single one of us, all right? So to begin to understand this love, as I begin to pray and prepare for this message, it helps to understand the love of a father. And even though it falls short in our human understanding, I couldn't help but remember the day that I became a father. And it wasn't traditional. We became parents through foster care. And I remember that day like it was yesterday when two girls showed up to my house, exhausted, tired, very ill, and to be honest, terrified, wondering who this bald white guy is that is supposedly gonna be taking care of them. And I remember the moment I greeted them and a woman came into my house holding my little baby girl, Emily, and it was the coldest experience in the whole world. You could tell this woman had become so calloused from doing this again and again, and maybe she felt like she had to, right? Because how could you allow yourself to feel all those emotions over and over again? And she just kind of goes, well, here you go, and hands me this beautiful little girl. And I still remember the look on her face when she like leaned back as she was being handed to me, and then at the end, she wrapped her arms around me and she sunk into my arms. And I'm gonna tell you that the moment she was handed to me, something within me was awakened for the very first time. Instantly, there was a powerful bond that was formed. And the thought of anyone else raising this precious little girl instantly became unthinkable to the point where I would come to church and I didn't want anyone else to hold her. I'm like, back off, people. She's mine. And I just had this overwhelming sense of just wanting to protect her. And immediately, I just took on all the pain of the abuse and neglect that I knew she must have been through. And, and I could feel what she was carrying as she trembled and she was in fear. She didn't understand what was going on. She was only about 15 months old. I couldn't imagine putting her in the arms of someone who wouldn't be able to provide for her all that I knew I could. 
putting her into the arms of someone that would not give her the best life possible. But let's take it further. What if I knew that I was going to put her in the arms of someone that would lead her to suffering and death? And that she would be so loving and selfless towards everyone and they didn't deserve it and they'd reject her love and it would lead to her demise. Yet this is what we celebrate today. The creator of the universe entrusted his one and only son and not just his son, but he brought him into the world as an infant, a vulnerable child. And he was placed in the arms of a teenage girl to raise him up. I can't imagine a second doing that with one of my children. And yet that's what was done for you and me today. We gather today in an effort to capture the full depth of God's love. Paul says something like that, that you might understand the height and the depth of God's love for you and me because there's something that happens when you receive a deep revelation of how desperately you are loved. It cannot help but transform your heart and allow it to be expanded. So today we gather to do that and let us not cheapen it by reducing it to lights, trees, wrapping paper, or even time that we spend with our loved ones. Rather, as we gather with our loved ones this weekend, let us recognize the ultimate love displayed in this child. My prayer is that if you can just for a moment Slow down, lean in, and stop to consider the gift that was given to you. You'll be able to receive the gift of the Heavenly Father's love today. So Father, right now, I pray every heart would be opened, Lord God, and I mean every heart. God, I pray for those who aren't even sure what they believe, and maybe they're here simply because it's the holiday and a family member or a friend has invited them. And I pray, God, for those of us that have been walking with you our whole life, God, that we would receive a fresh revelation of your love in such a real way that it expands our heart, and for some of us, it opens our heart to you for the very first time. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to share with you a parable that Jesus told that I've never heard preached on Christmas. Sound good? Because what this parable does is it summarizes the Christmas and the Easter story and I think a very profound way that can relate to us all. And so in Luke chapter 20, verses 9 through 16, this is where this story takes place. It says in verse 9, Now Jesus turned to the people again and told them this story. A man planted a vineyard. Uh, leased it to tenant farmers, that means farmers that were renting the land to farm it, and moved it to another country, or moved to another country to live for several years. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent one of his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers attacked the servant, beat him up, and sent him away empty-handed. So the owner sent another servant but they also insulted him, beat him up, and sent him away empty-handed. Finally, it says a third man was sent, and they wounded him and chased him away. What will I do, the owner asked himself. What a question at this point. I know, I'll send my cherished son. Surely they will respect him. But when the tenant farmers saw his son, 
They said to each other, here comes the heir to the estate. Let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they dragged him out of the vineyard and murdered him. What do you suppose the owner of the vineyard will do to them, Jesus asked. I tell you, he will come and kill those farmers and lease the vineyard to others. Why so dark on Christmas Eve, Pastor Joe? Why wouldn't you leave that verse out? There are certain things that happen that are so dark and so evil that they demand justice. And we serve a just God. He will not leave sin unpunished. And what happened to Jesus was one of those tragic things. That there must be a reckoning for what has taken place. Yet it is because of God's love that he used the hardness of our hearts to actually provide a way for our salvation. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is God's love put on display. That he would take your hardness and say, I'm going to use that very hardness to provide a way for them to be saved. The truth is, a day of justice is surely coming. But because of the love of this righteous judge, he's provided a way out through the gift of his only son. Today, I want to discuss with you three characteristics of God's love that can cause even the hardest of hearts to grow. Going back to verse 9, it says, Jesus turned to the people again and told them this story. I emphasize that because God's love is true. And one of the things that God's love does is it always speaks the truth. And the way that it begins to transform our heart first is it exposes the lie and replaces it with his truth. Even people who do not love you, have you noticed this? They'll tell you what you want to hear sometimes just to keep the peace, to pacify you or whatever it may be. There's a motive behind them. Just say, I'm just going to tell them what they want to hear. But how many of you know that real love speaks the truth even when it offends? And this was the first of many showdowns between Jesus and the religious leaders who wanted to kill him. This was Tuesday of the Passion Week. So three days before, he knew he would be arrested and tried unjustly and murdered for the sins of the world. He chooses to speak knowing that what he says will be the first domino that falls that leads to these people murdering him. How many of you know that someone who truly loves you will tell you the truth even if it costs them dearly? And this is what we see demonstrated through Jesus. He made the painful decision to speak the truth knowing that it would lead to his death. And what he shared in this story, this parable, was the Christmas and Easter story combined. In verse 10, he begins to tell the story and he says, he sent one of his servants, but the farmers attacked the servant. And so first we must ask ourselves this question, what would trigger such a violent response? Okay, I wasn't asking, but you told me anyway. That's awesome. Greed, right? Because we find that when we read down further, it says, this is the heir. Let's kill him and take ownership of the estate. Do you realize that what he has described in these few short words is the human condition? That 
Deep down, we are all tenants. We don't own anything we have. We don't own this earth, but we were put here as tenants to steward it, to govern it, and to take care of it. But yet deep down, because of our sinful nature, we want to be the owners. And this is our struggle against God. This is why some people are stuck in unbelief because deep down they want to be their own God. And this is the attitude that leads to the Grinch rising up within. This is the Grinch of self. There's a difference between self-love and the love of the Heavenly Father. Tragically, can I get that water, Dad? (laughs) Thanks. Tragically, in our fight to free ourselves from God, we actually end up becoming slaves of this Grinch of self. That's the irony that we see played out in the world today, right? People are so desperate to say, it's okay for me to make this choice. It's okay for me to make that choice. And in the process, they fall into slavery. It works this way with money. In 1 Timothy 6.10, it says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Think about what that means. First of all, money is just another way of saying power and authority, right? The golden rule is whoever has the gold makes the rules, right? And that's what it is. It's a struggle to become our own God, to be self-serving, to have everything we want. I have this t-shirt that I wear sometimes, and it always gets a, a snicker out of the teenagers. It says, don't eat yellow paint. And what's that ba- what that base is based off of is the famous and disturbed artist, Vincent Van Gogh. He always used to paint with a lot of bright colors. And he once said that yellow is the happiest color. And so sometimes he would paint with these colors in order to obtain a level of joy something that he wanted to feel, but he was also so disturbed that he actually often spoke of eating the paint in order to poison himself because he was so disturbed. And so he loved to paint with this yellow, and it must have come to the point where it became a temptation, maybe not necessarily that he thought it would make him happy, but that he just couldn't go on anymore. And we all have... If, if all we have are the things of this world to make us happy or to make us feel loved or make us have peace, we will soon become controlled by them. And in our efforts to find fulfillment, we actually end up poisoning ourselves. And so I ask you this morning, what is your yellow paint? What is it that is poisoning your life right now? And I want to tell you that the love of Jesus has come to set you free. Instead, the scriptures teach us that Jesus alone can truly satisfy. God's love is satisfying. And one of the ways he heals us and changes our heart is he fills the empty hole that exists. We were all created with a space that only he could fill. And that's what his love does. In John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The the satisfaction that your soul craves will never be fulfilled by a single thing this world offers. The perfect Christmas 
If all your dreams came true by the world's standards, we'll only leave you thirsting for more. Jesus came so that your very soul would be satisfied. So in verse 11, he says, the owner sent another servant, but they beat him up too. And then he sent in verse 12, a third servant, and they wounded him and chased him away as well. At this point, we have to ask the question, why is the owner so patient with these tenants? I would have reacted swiftly after the first servant was disrespected, beat up, and sent away. Why would he send another and then another only to be bitten, beaten and sent away empty-handed again? And so then he asked this question that is mind-boggling. In verse 13, after three servants have been beaten and sent away empty-handed, he asked himself the question, what will I do? Really? Because to me, that's a no-brainer. I think you and I both know what we would do in that circumstance. I think we would respond with equal and aggressive force. The answer that he gives, though, can only spring up out of a love that I could never fully understand. He says, I will send my beloved son, my cherished son. But when the tenants saw him, they said, this is the heir. Let's kill him so the inheritance may be ours. They threw him out and they killed him. Then Jesus asked another terrifying question. What then will the owner do to them? And then he answers it. He will come and destroy those tenants. I think we'd all agree that in this story, the tenants, the tenants are about to get what they deserve, right? I mean, that was really messed up what they did. There's, there's few things we can think of that are more evil than murder. And not only that, but the murder of an innocent person and the murder of the one and only son of God. But the story of Christmas is about Jesus coming to provide a way out for those who have lived their whole lives with the same attitude as these tenant farmers. Maybe that's someone in here today, maybe that's someone watching online right now, that your whole life you've been running. Your whole life you've been rebelling. Maybe you were actually raised to be Christian and you've turned your back on your creator and your heavenly father and you've hardened your heart towards him. Let me tell you this, number three, that God's love is relentless. And what happens when you recognize the relentlessness of God's love is it raises up a gratitude within your heart. And that in and of itself is truly what begins to cause our hearts to grow. In Romans 5, 6 through 8, it says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us. What does it say there, church? Sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Sometimes I fear that that goes right over our head because it's just beyond our reason and our comprehension. But there's a judgment coming 
But the love of God is the reason why that judgment has been delayed. I don't know your story in here today. Maybe life has hardened your heart. Maybe the church has wounded you and caused you to become calloused. Maybe the events and the tragedies you've experienced, maybe you've grown up without a father or a mother. Maybe you grew up not knowing your birth parents. But for whatever reason, your heart has been hardened by this life. The beauty of the gospel is that he knew from the beginning that you would run. He knew from the beginning that you'd turn your back on him. He knew that you'd have anger and animosity towards him. He knew you'd mess up. He knew you'd stumble. He knew you'd fall. And he knew for some of you, you'd do it again and again and again, repeatedly spitting in his face. And he continues to extend his hand and offer his mercy while there's still time. Today, the very fact that you're here and there's breath in your lungs is a sign of God's mercy and love for you. See, this parable has already played out except for one final part. Prophets like Jeremiah came to prepare the way for what Jesus would do someday. And according to church tradition, he was stoned to death. Isaiah came in like manner and according to some ancient Jewish text, he was sawn, sawn in two. John the Baptist came as a voice uh, crying out in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Messiah, and he was beheaded. All died at the hands of us tenant farmers, wrestling with God to break ourselves free from his rule while unknowingly shackling ourselves to selfishness and sin. And then finally, God sent his one and only son, Jesus. And they took him and they murdered him on a cross. And even after that, it is that same man that hung on the cross. And he said, Father, forgive them. Who? The ones who nailed him there. The ones who approved of it. The ones who mocked him, the ones who gambled for his clothes, the ones who ripped out his beard, the ones who slapped him and said, prophesy who hit you. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, church, this picturesque nativity scene that we celebrate today would end in a horrifying fashion. Yet even with that knowledge going into it, God sent his son anyway. That's the love that transforms even the hardest of hearts. But I have to tell you that the time of justice is almost upon us. Justice will be served, but you're here today because he extends his mercy to you. I'd like to invite you to bow your heads, if you would. Close your eyes with me today. You're here today, and at the telling of the story, someone in here, you felt God tugging on your heart, saying, son, come home. Daughter, come home. Maybe you've ran away and he's saying, return to me. Maybe you've never known him and he's saying, 
I want you to be my child. If that's you and you recognize that what happened on Christmas and what would be fulfilled on Easter and Resurrection Sunday was done for you and you say, I want to step into a relationship with that God and I want Jesus as my Savior. If that's you today, would you just lift your hand this morning, right now, lift it up. Don't be afraid. Perfect love casts out all fear. There's no reason to be afraid. He loves you. He came for you. He knows you've rejected him. He knows you've messed up and he still extends that invitation. One more time. If you wanna receive him today, raise your hand. All over this place. Amen. I extend that invitation to those of you watching online today. And I wanna ask you, church, will you pray with me? In fact, will you stand and pray with me right now? And we're gonna repeat this prayer, believing that someone's gonna be praying this prayer for the first time and entering into God's family for the first time. So right now, church, lift up your voices, repeat after me, say, Heavenly Father, I'm overwhelmed at the revelation of your love for me, that you know all my sin, everything I've done wrong, and you choose not to hold it against me. So I'm asking you for forgiveness of my sins. I repent, I turn away from that life, and I give my life to you. Give me your Holy Spirit, and I commit to live my life for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we just give God some praise this morning? To the rest of you who, maybe you didn't pray that prayer for the first time, I go back quickly to what I talked about earlier, that this message is for each and every one of you, no matter where you are in life, God wants to reveal his love to you in such a powerful way that your heart will grow and your heart will expand. Will expand. And today we're gonna end with a candlelight and a song. And the way this is gonna work is as you're standing, the team's gonna begin to play. And at our communion tables, there's two on this side and two on this side, there are candles. We wanna invite you and your whole family to go to the nearest ones. And so if you're on this half, you'll go to that side. If you're on this half, you'll go to that side. There'll be people there assisting you to light your candles. Now listen closely. You can also speed it up by assisting others and lighting their candles. So use your candle to light other people's candles. But here's what we want. Is everybody listening? We wanna create a beautiful circle around this whole room. Okay, so we're not gonna go back to our tables. When you get your candles, we want you to spread out even right up to this stage as our singers are gonna come down and join us too. We just wanna create a big circle of candles. And tonight, we recognize that his love is a light that can light up the darkest world. And it's a flame that can melt even the coldest and hardest of hearts. Would you join us today in taking a candle and circling up as we sing this morning? Amen. Come on, let's do it. So just quickly, I'll remind you that there's three ways to give. Um, there'll be buckets, I think, at the back, unless I am mistaken. So look for those buckets. We also have the lockbox um, next to the sound booth over there that can be used as well today. Um, and you can also give online through the app um, or on the website. You can also mail in a check to the address on the screen if you're watching online today. 
So right now what we want you to do is go ahead and blow out your candles and we'll bring up the lights a little bit. And just before you leave, if you'll just place those back 